Hi, and thanks for tuning in to Speak Up, Speech Pathology Australia's podcast. Each week, we feature an interesting, thought-provoking and clinically relevant conversation to enhance your speech pathology practice. Let's hear from this week's contributors. Hello and welcome to Speak Up. This is Nadia and today we are wishing you a very happy Speech Pathology Week from the lands of the Wandri Woi Wurrung and the Boonarong Boon Wurrung people of the Eastern Kulin Nation. For our episode today, we will be celebrating our theme of communicating for life by speaking to a speech pathologist and her client to hear about the impact that speech pathology has had on both of their lives. Part of what we want to celebrate this year is being a certified practicing speech pathologist with SPA and what that means both to us as a community of speeches, but also what this means to the people that we serve. We're now joined by Maddie Ebinger, who is one of the speech pathologists at Cabrini. Hi, Maddie. Thanks for being here. Hi, Nadia. Thanks for having me and happy Speech Pathology Week. Yes, and to you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So the theme this year is communicating for life. Can you tell us a little bit about what that means for you? Absolutely. Um, I think we can all attest to that communication is integral for um, all our lives and most people maintain connection to others and cultures across the world through communicating and talking to one another. Um, To me, communicating for life um, means facilitating successful communication to support a person's quality of life through person-centred care across the lifespan. Um, I think what's really crucial for me um, working in the acute setting is remembering that it's not a one-and-done approach. Mm -hmm. Um, Facilitating successful communication is ever-changing. For us, patients may be alert or may not be alert. They may be medically stable, may not be medically stable, and that um, definitely impacts their communication and we see a lot of fluctuations. I think when looking at communicating for life as well, it's about prioritising the goals of my patients Mm -hmm. relating to their communication um, in conjunction with those that are close to them and making sure that it's practical and relevant to the environment they're in. Again, working in an acute hospital, this can vary from the general med ward to the intensive care unit to palliative care to a patient transitioning into aged care. So it's quite variable. Yeah. Um, I also think communication is not a one-size-fits-all approach mm-hmm. and um, really, I really try to individualise and, and, and tailor any strategies I recommend for patients or any um, yeah, recommendations I put in place to make sure it's functional and really relevant to the person's journey. Yeah, and a lot of that is that um really making sure that we're being responsive and and like you said person-centeredness it's a it's a key part of who we are as speech pathologists I think I think it's a key part of um well being being a person being human as well (laughs) (laughs) very true (laughs) um can you tell us a little bit more about what communicating for life means in like your day-to-day work yeah um I think uh, it might be a good chance for me to to talk to Ollie who I think may have already spoken or maybe coming up. Um, But I worked with Ollie um, during his long hospital admission with us. Um, He was diagnosed with Guillain-Barre syndrome Mm -hmm. or GBS, um, following a viral illness while holidaying in in America and Mexico. Um, For anyone who doesn't know, GBS is a form of nerve inflammation um, where the nerves are attacked by the body's own immune system and therefore get damaged. 
and don't um, transport messages as well as they should. And this results in muscle paralysis and weakness as well as sensation changes. So in Ollie's case, um, the muscles in his face and throat didn't work as well as they normally would, which impacted on his talking, his eating and his drinking. Um, looking at my um, communicating for life and, and what that looks like in my day-to-day -day work and reflecting on my experience with Ollie, I think I kind of a, a few key themes come through um, about, about what communicating for life means and entails. I, mean, I think the first key um, theme for me is um, our supportive and kind of accidental counsellor role. Um, for Ollie, he was on quite an emotional long journey and um, it was important that his needs and goals guided the service that I provided him. Sometimes a therapy session may have just been listening and providing comfort and for me, that was um, important to sit with and be comfortable, but um, that was therapy enough in those moments, mm -hmm. even if it did fall out of the traditional domains of, of our practice. I think too, sometimes um, working with patients, it can be, be hard on us as clinicians. So it's important to um, seek support from other members of the MDT, social work, psychologists, pastoral care. I think another key theme in my day-to-day -day work in communicating for life is probably very obviously um, strategies that to facilitate communication that are tailored to the patient. Um, I think that's really crucial, as you kind of said before, the person-centred care, things that are tailored to the patient. Um, for Ollie, that was that really just evolved across his admission as his symptom and his symptoms and his presentation progressed and changed um, so it was about supplementing all his talking with non-verbal means like gesture and then um, encouraging other people to observe all his gesture as a way of him communicating his needs and wants um, it was the use of augmentative alternative communication devices, um, the e-tran board, which allowed Ollie to use his eye gaze to select letters um, to spell out his desired words, as well as a picture-based communication board, which was tailored to Ollie and what he needed to communicate. This was really cute, crucial for him when he was in our intensive care unit and he had um, the trachea in situ, so couldn't voice. Yeah. As he progressed, though, we were able to put a passenger valve on, on the track in it. We were able to see, hear his voice again. And when, when his, he was, his track, he was removed, it was about practising strategies to improve, improve the clarity and the volume of his voice and the, the clarity of his speech as well. And throughout all that, throughout all that theme of strategies to facilitate communication, it was really always at the forefront of my mind about fostering what was important to Ollie. And, foster, and, and I mean, this carries over to all, all patients as well, all my patients. Um, so I think in the early stages um, when Ollie's symptoms weren't as bad, he was really quite keen and focused on still trying to talk through, through and, and use speech, um, which was admirable of him and it was good. We needed to facilitate that. Um, and then in our intensive care unit, when he was using the e-tran, the eye gaze spelling board, and that wasn't working as well, and then the picture-based wall wasn't working as well, then we transitioned to him typing message on his iPhone or his iPad. 
Um, another thing that was really important to Ollie was involving his mum in, in discussions. Um, and she speaks Spanish. So that was in terms of supporting communication. It's patient-centred because it's related to Ollie, but it's not for Ollie's communication um, because it was more um, of the interactions to facilitate the interactions between Ollie's mum and our intensivists. Um, and that's where we had to pull out the old Google Translate to help out with some, some keyword translations and just really avoid that communication breakdown yeah. um, and ensure she was still involved. Um, I think another theme that flows on quite nicely from that is education. Um, supporting Ollie, Ollie's families and friends, um, staff, nursing staff, intensivists, allied health team members, um, to value all types of communication and the variability of that, um, to, to recognise, I suppose, um, the changes that Ollie was going through in his talk and his speech due to um, GBS, and also education regarding implementing the strategies to um, facilitate communication with Ollie. I think there's also, last, last theme idea, <laughs> I think there's also quite a big, and it comes probably from that um, person-centred care approach, there's a big um, advocacy role. Mm. Um, Ollie, Ollie is quite young and so it was undoubtedly um, easier perhaps given his age and his intact cognition, but um, promoting and facilitating his autonomy and care was really important um, for Ollie through communication throughout his um, hospital admission. Um, again, that was through encouraging the use of the various communication strategies to facilitate communication and um, also there were various times perhaps when Ollie's needs and wants were assumed um, in the setting of perhaps awkwardness or uncertainty of staff um, and it was important to, to feed that back to the staff and advocate for Ollie and, and what he could do and how they could listen to him and how they could um, facilitate interactions. And it was also really important that um, even though Ollie maybe may have been lying in bed and immobile, we, he could still be involved in team discussions about his care and, and his progress. Um, I think too in terms of advocacy role, again, and persons into care, it comes back to what's important for Ollie, which isn't always related to communication. <laughs> um, and a big, a big priority for Ollie, which I'm sure he might talk to, was recommencement of oral intake. Um, and it was a really special um, multidisciplinary team approach, um, team celebration when we were down in intensive care and Ollie had his tracking in and his cuff deflated and his passimual valve on and we were trying teaspoons of the finest tequila um, <laughs> for his birthday. Um, but, you know, it was important that, to advocate for Ollie in that moment. And although we may not have advanced to a, a complete meal, um, that was what was important to Ollie. And so it's important to focus on that in his journey. It's great the little bits and pieces that are just specific to that person that that you that keep, don't you? Like it's yeah. not it's not a matter of that tequila is a normal thing that you would be doing no. when you come through, but, exactly. but it was meaningful and important, and that's something that will stay with you and with him, I bet, for a yes. long time. Yes, 
Yes, it was. And I mean, it was funny because I remember like speaking with him and being like, oh, is that really something you want to try first after you haven't eaten everything for a while? It's going to be quite strong. And just after a few teaspoons, he was like, oh, I think that's a bit too much. I'm feeling it a little bit. (laughs) So I had to quickly backpedal and and stop for the day. But, you know, it made him really happy and that was important. Absolutely. Oh, that's great. Um, look, last question I've got for you before we introduce Ollie. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the benefits of being a CPSP? So the theme this year is a little bit about the individuals that we work with and the, the people that we support and serve, and then a little bit about being a certified practicing speech pathologist and what that means as well to the community as a whole and to us as speech pathologists. I think um, to, to us or to me as a speech pathologist, the 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 title C CPSP um, really pr- promotes professional accountability mm. um, in encouraging us um, to set goals, reflect on our learning, and constantly improve in our practice to show that it's effective and evidence based. Um, I think it's really lovely we get a, we are granted a lot of professional development opportunities, which allow us to um, constantly learn and develop our skills mm. so that they can support our practice. Um, through the CPSP2, we have access to the member hub, which is um, the way members can connect with the wider speech pathology community, which is just amazing when you see who everyone that's contributing um, for discussions about cases or um, seeking input where people might, one speech pathologist might be able to refer to another speech pathologist. It's just such a beautiful or it's in the definition it's a really beautiful community feel of everyone helping each other out um I think a more recent shift too has been the shift um in cultural learning with a focus on cultural learning and that being more of a requirement I think that's really important um today to to make sure we're promoting the provision of culturally responsive and safe services um and as well as the um, just the general speech path website, which I don't think you need to be a CPSP to have access to, but um, definitely um, opens a lot of doors in terms of access to guidelines and newsletters and updated information and allows us, grants us opportunities to continue, contribute to working parties as well. Yeah, beautiful. Thank you for all that. We are now joined by a consumer of speech pathology services. Welcome, Ollie. Thanks for being here. Hi, Nadia. Thanks for having me. Can you start out by telling us a little bit about your background? Uh, sure. So I'm originally from Mexico, came to Australia about 10 years ago. Um, and I'm a designer by trade. I actually have my own design studio. We focus on digital products, websites, and applications. And and when I'm not chasing the kids around the house, uh, I usually spend my time at the gym trying to, you know, work out those extra calories that I take with the kids. Um, and yeah, that's that's basically me in a nutshell. Pretty pretty active. Thanks, Ollie. Could you tell us a little bit about how you met Maddie and what that work looked like for you? Yeah. So I think it was my day number five, maybe five or six at Cabrini Hospital. And I was having trouble swallowing and just breathing in general. I didn't know what was going on. Uh, I couldn't couldn't feed myself, and I couldn't just couldn't do any of the things that I normally do as as far as you know uh, eating goes. So 
I talked to the nurse and then Marty came in one day and then she assessed me and basically she said, yep, your swallowing is going away. You're going to need to start mushing your food and thinking about um, thickening liquids. And it was a bit of a shock, to be honest. Yeah. And I didn't know what all that meant or what was happening, but I knew Maddie, Maddie was there to help me all the way through um, through ICE and even before I left to, to rehab. But yeah, unfortunately, that was that's how we met. Those <laughs> 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 uh, very uh, difficult circumstances. Yeah, for sure. Um, can you tell us a bit about how accessing speech pathology services and supports, how that's impacted you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. Um, well, as I mentioned uh, before, it was really hard for me to do anything uh, in terms of drinking or eating, and eventually I couldn't, I couldn't talk. I couldn't. I didn't have any move in my lips or even my face at all. So all the expressions I could tell you the most beautiful compliment ever, but then my face was completely paralyzed. <laughs> uh, it would have been uh, to you. Would have looked like I was, you know saying something really bad but they're accessing these services or or maddie you know having maddie by my side it was very helpful because it helped me understand but it also helped me to navigate this those difficult times you know i didn't know i i've never heard of thickened you know liquids for example and i didn't know you could uh like i didn't know you know, when, when you order food at a hospital, the tray had to be a certain color. So people knew, the nurses knew that, you know, I needed assistance. Like all those things, I, I had no idea of that. And I, I've never been in a hospital before. So this is, a, this is my first time. The only other time was when I sprained my ankle completely. <laughs> uh, not Obviously not, not the same level of care that I needed this time around. But yeah, with... With Maddie and speech, it was basically teaching me and teaching me how to be careful and teaching me when, or letting me know when it was time to stop and then go on to the next thing, you know. Um, maybe, Maddie, you can chip in with the terminologies, but basically just the tube down the, <laughs> down the nose so I could eat. And uh, the meds, you know, Maddie had to make the call at a point where said, she said, you know, Ollie, you can't sell anymore, so this is the next step and this is how we're going to keep you safe. Yeah. Um, and even when when I when we got out of that dip and I started to get better, and there was a point where the nurses were not very comfortable with me swallowing, and even though Maddie had assessed me previously and said, "Yeah, you're good to go," so I had to reach out to Maddie and say, "Can you please speak to the staff because they're not letting me swallow and they're not letting me have the water that I want so much that I haven't had in a month," you know. And yeah, she she went above and beyond to help me with that. So I really appreciate. It. I think I told you all this Maddie, before, but yeah, you did. I mean, like, <laughs> I mean, it's great to hear. <laughs> it's great to hear that I, I could be of some help. Um, I think too, we we did a lot around your communication as well, Ollie. Um, all right, yeah, that's yeah. that's right. Yeah, there was um, uh, again help me what it's called, but basically that board where you use your eyes to Each communicate. Board. Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah, I should have learned that one. No, 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 that's, you've described it perfectly with your, your hand. Yeah, and to anyone listening, basically is uh, an acrylic acrylic frame and you put it in front of you, your face has to be in the middle and you can, and so you engage with the other person by looking at their eyes and in this case, if I'm 
the patient, then I look at a corner, point at the letter, and then look at another corner that gives you the color, something like that, I guess. Basically, you just use your you just use your eyes, right? And then it's like playing hangman, and someone needs to whoever you want trying to talk to, they need to keep track of that as well. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you become just... quite. Yeah, you become quite good at it towards the end of it uh, after a couple of days uh, and you start to guess what, people, what someone's going to try trying to say. So that was super helpful. After the tracheostomy, Nadia, uh, obviously I couldn't talk. Yeah. And it was quite important for me to communicate how I was feeling. I was completely paralyzed. So even moving my hands, I couldn't reach. I couldn't reach my face, basically. Imagine I'm laying in bed, I can't scratch my face. And that was kind of hard at the start. So that's why Mari um, brought in the, the communication board. And a few other devices. There was, you also helped me with the, that piece of paper with, with the alphabet. Yes. And the so we had a, um, an alphabet board. Mm-hmm. And an alphabet we also board, had yeah. a, um, like a picture-based communication board as well, where there were some pictures in squares. Yep, gotcha. And mm-hmm. I, think, I think with Oli, we kind of, we advanced as Ollie improved, then we withdrew the communication support he needed. Um, but, yeah, there was definitely a journey, a journey there. Yeah. Um, the biggest challenge, I think, was, and I, I mentioned this to Maddie when she told me how to use that, that, that frame, was to teach the nursing staff how to use it because nobody knew what that was. Maybe one or two people have seen it but never used it. And I said, Marty, this is great, but we need to teach everyone, like every shift, you need to tell them. And that was a big challenge at the end, uh, after three or four days, and then we just dropped it completely. And we had to move on to the neck, onto the alphabet board and uh, kind of evolve into that. It sounds like you had a crash course in, in different ways to communicate. You're going to be a speech pathologist before you know it. <laughs> I definitely would not be one, but yeah, I, I had a, I had a really, it was a, it was an interesting time and half of my time in ICU, I don't remember anything, just, you know, completely those there out. And um, I don't remember when I woke up and, but I do remember Maddie coming in and helping out when I needed it. Yeah, awesome. Great. Thank you for sharing that. That's really nice. Um, So we're recording this podcast because it's going to come out in Speech Pathology Week, which is a a week that we kind of use to celebrate speech pathologists. And the theme for this year is communicating for life. So now that you've done a bit of work with with Maddie, um, can you tell me a little bit about what that means to you, communicating for life? Yeah, well, we could go quite literally, like you need to communicate to fight for your life, right? That's one. (laughs) That's the first thing that comes to my mind because <clears throat> I was so close to, you know, that you know, facing death basically, and the risk of choking. But um, when it came to, when it comes to communicating, people around you start to uh, they they know you from prior prior to the hospital, right? And they they know you can talk, they know you can communicate yourself, you can do all these things, and they sort of expect you to keep doing that. <clears throat> Excuse me. But the truth is that you can't, and you need to start relying on other people in your in your network as well. Um, I thought, you know, before I used to basically just say what I was in my head and just talk about anything and everything. And as I couldn't communicate, as I was getting 
Sika and Sika, you had to choose your words quite carefully uh, because you don't have a voice. Literally, don't have a voice, <laughs> and and your movement is quite limited. So, if you need three things, you might pick the one at top. So you might you might need to scratch your face. You might need water. You might need um, to turn to your side because you can't do that. So, but you can't say all these things at once. So you really have to think about how to do that. And for me, it was quite important to have people around me or next to me to help me achieve those things. You know? um, as I said before, at the start of the call, I'm from Mexico and my mom came out and she was, she, my, my wife, Saskia, who is Australian and my mom from Mexico. And with Saskia, it was easy because she would see something and she would go and she would communicate it to the staff, you know, all in needs such and such. With my mom was different because she wouldn't speak English. So I had to say something in Spanish to her, or she would ask me something in Spanish, and I had to translate it. You know, so things like that, that that barrier, that communication, there it just kind of gets lost sometimes. And uh, we always got through it. Like it was wasn't wasn't major issue, but you do realize how important communication is, and and how speech really helped in that regard as well just to really cover the bases, get you out there, and then slowly, at a point, uh, I somehow convinced Maddie to give me tequila in ICU. So. <laughs> it's really, I was waiting for Ollie to bring that up. It's really, it was really quite a highlight. It was on his birthday, and that was, that was your first oral trial after quite a while, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, you can't talk about the, all this and not mention it, Maddie. Exactly. <laughs> no, but I think it's worth highlighting that it's not like I woke up from the, you know, from um, the trackie and then all of a sudden you gave me a sip of tequila. It was it was quite a, a journey and we did something, we did it safely. Mighty did ask me, what do you want to do? How do you want to progress? And I said, I'm really dying for, you know, just a little bit of, <laughs> of my Mexican water. <laughs> yeah, and, and we did. And I guess just that relationship that we developed, it carried on outside ICU and then up into the ward. And I didn't know, but apparently you can have a key person in the hospital. And I think unofficially you were that person, Maddie, or was it official? I don't know. <laughs> I don't think it was official, but I'm I don't glad think that I could help you to that degree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, again, all these things that you don't know when you go into hospital, but you can have a key person, which I, I knew once I got to rehab. And, I, and then I thought, hang on, that was Maddie back at the hospital. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. That's really lovely for everyone to hear. And I think it's really important that, um, <clears throat> excuse me, that during this week, we take the time to step back and reflect and think about the, the impact as a field that we can be making as well. Ollie, just before we let you go, can you tell us any advice that you might have for speech pathologists or anything that you'd like the speech pathology population to who are listening today to know? Yeah, well, so many things, but I think the the one that I want to mention before I leave is <laughs> not a lot of people know what speech pathology is, right? And I certainly didn't know that was a thing, but coming out of the hospital it's really 
is as important as physio, you know, because physio is usually at the top of the list. You know, you need to get better, you need to be able to move. And then voice therapies like down there, and then speech pathologies is kind of fighting somewhere in the middle ground. But I think it's really important um, because, uh, again, Maddie, she was my key person at the hospital. She was always fighting for me for any any complaint that I had about staff or not staff, but you know, you know, it's it's too cold in here, it's too hot in here. She will go and fix the aircon, you know, things like that. That's definitely not within speech. <laughs> it doesn't doesn't fall in in there, but she would do it, and and that speaks a lot about who who you really are. And in this case, Maddie, but I'm sure. There are a lot of other speech pathologists out there who have to deal with things like that, you know, and, and they've done it. Um, and the other thing that I want to mention, as, as I said before, a Mexican in speaks Spanish at home all the time. And when I, my, my speech was coming back, it's quite interesting to compare my conversations in Spanish and in English and how Spanish speakers will understand me better than English speakers. So I think that has to do with, you know, English being my second language, but also, I don't know, it's just, it was just very interesting to compare both and see how people in English would ask me to repeat the last word, the last phrase, whereas in Spanish, it would be easier for everyone to understand. So I don't know if anyone out there listening has experienced something like this or has heard about anything like it, but I think it is a thing. Yeah. It's something that worth, uh, you know, paying attention to as well. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, I think um, probably the the way your mouth moves and your lip moves and your tongue moves is different in, in Spanish than it is to English and perhaps it's easier. I don't know Spanish, so I, I'm not sure. But um, in making those sounds, it might be easier and therefore clearer. I know definitely for you, Ollie, when mm-hmm. you were um, potentially your symptoms were your worst, at their worst, sorry, um, mm-hmm everyone your your mum could understand you um in Spanish and you kept saying to me she's like my mum can understand me but no one else can understand me in English <laughs> so definitely yeah. I mean it's a really accurate reflection I think you're on, you're you're on the money mm-hmm. yeah Wonderful. yeah that's true um yeah but that that's pretty much it that yeah. I think I uh, should really pay attention to what the industry is doing uh doing amazing things and now that I've experienced it firsthand, I uh, can appreciate it way more than before, you know, <laughs> and yeah. moving forward, of course. Yeah. Thank you so much for taking the time today to share your experiences and, and your journey. It's really lovely to hear from you. Thanks for the invite, Nadia. Well, we might leave it there for today. Thanks so much to Ollie and to Maddie for sharing their experiences with us. And we hope that every single one of you has a very happy Speech Pathology Week. Tune in next time for our next conversation. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this week's conversation. Please be sure to subscribe or follow the podcast and share it with your colleagues. You can also visit us at speechpathologyaustralia.org.au. Thanks for listening and bye for now.